You may be seated. And if you have your Bible, you can uh, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, if you do not have a Bible, just slip up your hand. We've got plenty here, and we are more than happy to make sure that uh, you're provided with one. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And we're starting at verse 10. We're going to read on down through verse 17. These words penned by the Apostle Paul, a former persecutor of the church, a former hater of Jesus Christ transformed into a man who loved Jesus, who loved the church, and was used by God to be one of the foundations for that church through his teaching. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Let's pray together. Father God, as uh, grateful as we are this morning to be worshiping in this beautiful building, on this beautiful property, Father, we acknowledge to you this morning that the church is not a building. It's not a physical building. We acknowledge that the church is made up of followers of Jesus Christ, those who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. And Father God, I pray that we as a church body would glorify you and honor you since we are the body of Christ We need to be the hands and feet of Christ in this community and in this world. So I pray by the power of your spirit that this church body would represent and and manifest the love of Christ. And we can only do it by the power of the spirit. God, I pray as the word is preached this morning that you would open our hearts, that we may receive it, that your spirit may help us to understand your message to us this morning. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Deemer. Well, good morning, everybody. Hope you're enjoying this beautiful day that God has given us in this new facility, and we are praising God that we're in here. Um, I'm deviating a bit from our series. We've been teaching verse by verse through the book of Acts. We're breaking away from that for one day because I knew that, um, uh, that our minds perhaps might be a little bit on this building today when we came in here, and, and we're so excited about it. And we're so much looking forward to seeing what God's going to do, how he's going to use this building as a tool to minister to the community and to reach more people for Christ. I knew our minds might be focused on the building this morning. So I was breaking away from the book of Acts, and I wanted to go to a passage that helps us to focus on what the church truly is. As I was thinking about buildings, actually I got to thinking about the amount of earthquakes you've heard about lately. There seems to be a lot of earthquakes in the news these days. Um, Most notably, a month or so ago was the earthquake in Haiti. And that was a 7.0 magnitude 
earthquake, and it killed 220,000 people, and there's still a lot of people missing. A couple of weeks after the earthquake in Haiti, there was an earthquake in Chile, uh, in South America, that uh, registered 8.8 on the Richter scale, which is a massive earthquake. Much bigger, matter of fact, 500 times bigger than the earthquake in Haiti. And the earthquake in Chile at 8.8 ended up killing 700 people. And so I, I did a little Google search this um, week to figure out why so many more people died in Haiti than died in Chile. And there were several reason, reasons given. I was reading one particular article. One of the reasons was that Chile is an earthquake zone, and people are much more used to and experienced with earthquakes. And they know what to do when they begin to feel the ground shake. I lived in South America in the same fault line that, that, that caused the earthquake there in Chile when I lived in Ecuador. And I remember we had a few different tremors and earthquakes, and one pretty serious earthquake when I lived there. And uh, so the people in Chile were experienced. They knew what to do. They knew to go, where to go to be safe. Whereas the people in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, weren't used to earthquakes and didn't know how to react to the earthquake when it hit. Uh, also, the earthquake in Chile was about 21 miles under the surface of the ground when it hit. That was where the plates shifted and caused the earthquake. Whereas the earthquake in, in uh, Haiti was only 8 miles under the ground, which made the, the quake actually more violent than the one in Chile. But by and far, the biggest reason why the earthquake in Haiti killed a lot more people than the earthquake in Chile was the difference in buildings and how the buildings were constructed. Uh, Chile has a lot stricter building codes, just building codes, period. Plus, they have strict building codes to, for the people there to build buildings that can survive earthquakes. And there were some buildings that collapsed in Chile, but not nearly like what happened in Port-au-Prince, where they say uh, like four out of every five buildings collapsed in Port-au-Prince. And, the, uh, and the, the construction work, the building codes in Haiti aren't nearly what they are in Chile. And so you see the difference between a strong building and a weak building. And when the trials come, when the, when the earthquake came, the weak buildings collapsed and killed and destroyed lots of things. But the buildings in Chile were much stronger. I want us to talk this morning about building a strong church building. And I don't want us to think about the physical building. This is a, a beautiful and strong church building. I've learned a lot about building codes just being in the process of this construction. Um, and I've learned that it, when construction work, there's no such thing as a deadline. Okay? They say it's going to be done now. That really means six months from now. All right? And, 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 and there's, just, there's all these details that have to be dealt with. And then you're getting phone calls. We've got to make a decision about the color of this and the color of that. And I'm like, I don't care. Just, just build a building. But there's lots of details that go into the construction of a facility like this. And so we've learned a lot about church building. But I want to talk about the people of God being the building of God. It's a metaphor that Paul uses uh, in the scripture passage we read today. He compares the people of God to a building. Paul's writing a letter to the church in Corinth. This is a church that he planted, he planted uh, maybe five years prior to writing this letter. Now guys, I don't have my clicker this morning, so y'all are just going to have to keep up with me, all right? Um, so he plants this church, and, but it wasn't long before the church in Corinth began to have some problems, began to have some struggles. There was division in the church in Corinth. There was disorder in the church in Corinth. There were abuses going on in the church in Corinth. There was lots of sin in the church in Corinth. So Paul writes this letter 
he writes this pretty harsh letter to them in 1 Corinthians, trying to deal with a lot of these issues that's going on in the church. And so he uses some metaphors to try to help them understand what the church is. And one of the metaphors he uses just prior to this passage we're reading was he compared the church to a, a field. And he talked about the church work being like a farmer sowing seed and others coming in and, and harvesting what was growing and watering it and different things. And so he used the metaphor of a, of a field. And you'll see in verse 9, which we didn't read, but it's right before what, where we started, he says, you are God's field, you are God's building. So he makes a transition, okay? I'm going to give you another metaphor to help you understand who you are as God's people. Later in the passage where uh, the Deemer read, we, we saw that he said, don't you know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? He's referring to the church as a whole. At each, now he does talk later about us individually, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, us individually being temples of the Holy Spirit. But here he's talking about the church as a whole is a building, it's a temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter 2, 4 says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, he's talking about the people who've come to Christ, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to, a holy, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So I do want to talk about building a strong church this morning, but I don't want us to focus on a physical building. I want us to focus on we, the people of God, how can we be a strong church? Now, I want us to want you to look at some verses that just come right before the verses that Dima read. I want you to see part of what's going on in the church in Corinth. Okay? It says that, um, what, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you be believe, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Now, I want you to see that because I want you to see the main problem that Paul's trying to deal with here is disunity in the church. And I want us to look at this metaphor. There's four elements to this metaphor that Paul's using today. And I want us to go ahead and bring all four of them up so you can look at your notes and go ahead and fill out all four blanks, the first four blanks, right away. He talks about the architect. He talks about the foundation. He talks about the materials. And then he talks about the workmen. You've got to have all those things to build a building. To build this physical building, there had to be an architect, someone who designed and had the vision for what this building would look like. And then there had to be the foundation that was laid. Then there were the materials that were chosen to be used in building the building. And then there had to be workmen to make it happen. You have to have all four. So let's look first at what he talks about here when he talks about the architect. Verse 10, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Paul here is the architect of the church in Corinth. He's the skilled master builder. That, that word master builder can also be translated designer. He's the skilled designer architect of the church. He's the one that God used to plant this church. He's the one that God used to lay the foundation of Jesus Christ in the city of Corinth. Now you remember the context here. The people are divided. Some of them are wanting to follow one guy. Some are wanting to follow another guy. There's division in the church because the people are doing something that happens in a lot of churches. They're people following. They like this guy or they like this guy. 
I've been in plenty of very large churches where, where someone likes this Sunday school teacher, and, and the only reason they're going to church is because they like this Sunday school teacher, or they like this pastor, and they're people following. And that's what's happening in the ch church in Corinth, and it's very unhealthy. In verse 1 of chapter 3, he says, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not merely being human? What he's saying is there's tremendous immaturity in this church. With that context in mind, Paul here, when he talks about himself being the skilled master builder, he's not bragging. He's not trying to point himself out. He's not trying to elevate himself. Matter of fact, he gives all the credit to God. In verse 10 it says, according to the grace given to me. Paul's point is, yes, God does use people. God used him to plant. He used the word plant earlier. He planted the church. God used him to build the church. God used him to lay the foundation of the church. But it was all done by God's grace. The key here is God's grace. In the church, if a church is going to be healthy, there's no room for arrogance. There's no room for pride with the leadership in the church. There's no room for people following in the church. We follow Christ. We stand on Christ alone. A strong church, a well-built church, is a church that doesn't have people followers. You know, um, I was at a church. I've been at several different um, in different churches in my in my life as a minister, but also prior to that. And I, I was at a church that, that had a serious people-following problem. And that is they had a dynamic, awesome pastor. And everyone loved this guy. And everyone liked to talk about their pastor. They even had a I Love My Pastor Sunday. Okay? And this pastor, I think, loved having an I Love My Pastor Sunday. And everyone, this was a people-following church. The problem was, when you have a, when your people followers... Things changed. That pastor left that church, and that church suffered. And over the next three years, they went through six different pastors because it was a people-following church. It wasn't a Christ-following church. And also, leaders fail. We can't be people-followers because leaders fail. Paul never pointed people to himself. Yes, he did say, follow my example, but he was always talking about the work that Christ was doing in him. He would say, I work harder than anyone else in the church, but it's not me, but Christ in me. He was always pointing to the grace of God at work in himself. And so he's always pointing people to Christ. That's why this is not a pastor-led church. That's not the model we follow here. This is an elder-led church. We believe in a multiplicity of elders. I, right now, am the lead pastor or the lead elder of this church. But I believe that Paul designed the church to have a multiplicity of elders. Titus 1.5 says, This is why I left you in Crete. This is Paul speaking. So that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders, plural, in every town as I directed you. Paul's very aware that this isn't about him. He left no room for pride, and neither can we if we're going to be a strong church. So I ask you to pray for me. Pray for Deemer. Pray for Mark as he leads us in music. Pray for those who are more up, up front in the church. Pray because pride is a dangerous thing. Pride is a sneaky little fellow. Pride slips into your life. One of my favorite pastors is John Piper. And y'all have heard me talk, uh, quote Piper before from up here. But one of the things that happened two weeks ago 
was he announced he was taking a leave of absence from his church from like May until the end of the year. And so he's taking a long sabbatical. And I'm sure part of the reason is he needs to be rejuvenated. But he, the reasons he gave were twofold. Number one, he needed to take better care of his family. But number two, he said he wanted to battle pride. And I admire him for willing, being willing to step away from the pulpit to battle pride. Here's a man who has books out there. Everyone reads his books. Everyone's watching his podcast. And it's very easy to get puffed up and think, I'm something. But we're, I'm nothing. No pastor is anything. Only Christ. Only Christ should be exalted in the church. And that's the sign of a good church. I'm glad I'm not a very dynamic personality, to be honest with you. Okay? I'm glad I'm kind of a boring guy. Uh, I'm glad I have some serious flaws and some shortcomings and some weaknesses. Not that I'm tr not trying. I am trying by God's grace to overcome these things. And not that I'm satisfied with mediocrity. I'm not, okay? But um, you know what? I'm glad that I'm still a work in progress. And that God is working on me daily. Because I have to rely on Christ alone. As Paul said, I boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses. I boast in my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Christ is the one who has the power. He gets all the credit. Because everything is from Christ alone to Christ alone. In 1 Corinthians 1, 23, Paul says, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block for the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Which leads me to my next point. The architect, okay, wait, no, you can leave that up there. All the points are, go back. There we go. Should have gotten my pointer. It's one of my weaknesses. All right. Second, the foundation. I want us to focus on the foundation. Verse 11. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. The foundation of any strong church is Christ alone. That's why I asked Mark to sing that song that we sang right before I got up to preach. On Christ the solid rock I stand. On Christ alone is our foundation. If a church is not built upon the solid rock of Christ, it's not a strong church. Matter of fact, it may not even be a real church. There are some quote-unquote churches that deny the essentials of the faith, deny the deity of Christ, deny what Christ did, what he accomplished, who he said he is, and therefore are in no real way churches. If you read the post last week, we send out an e-news every week, kind of an e-newsletter that recaps the message and gives you some prayer points for the week. And uh, so if you're visiting with us this morning, if you get, leave your email address on the card, we'll make sure you get on the post mailing list. But in the post last week, I put a story. You may have read it. You may not have. But this was an interview that a pastor, a quote-unquote Christian pastor, was doing with Christopher Hitchens. Do you know who Christopher Hitchens is? Christopher Hitchens is one of the most famous atheists right now. He writes lots of anti-Christian mostly, anti-God, but anti-Christian books. And he is a famous atheist, and he goes around debating people all the time. And he was on the radio with a pastor from Portland. And this pastor, she, uh, she's interviewing him, and she says this. The religion you cite in your book is generally the fundamentalist type of faith. I'm a liberal Christian, and I don't take the stories from Scripture literally. I don't believe in the doctrine of atonement, that Jesus died for our sins, for example. Do you make any distinction between fundamentalist faith and liberal religion? And this was Christopher Hitchens, an atheist. This is his response. I would say that if you don't believe that Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ and Messiah, and that he rose again from the dead, and by his sacrifice our sins are forgiven, 
you really are not in any way, in, in any meaningful sense, a Christian. So you see, this atheist understood that either you place your faith in Christ, and he is your atonement, he is the foundation, or you're not a Christian. You can't just put a label on you and say, hey, we're a church, but all we're going to do is teach self-help stuff. No, we teach Christ. We preach Christ and Christ crucified. That's what makes a church a church. It's very easy this day, these days to slip into false foundations. Even some churches that truly believe in God's word and accept God's truth and believe that Jesus is who he says he is can inadvertently, perhaps not so inadvertently, put their hope in other places than the gospel. They put their faith in other places than Jesus Christ alone. For example, some people come up with just, they, they place their hope in pragmatism. If we put together this system and this system and this system, it's going to work and we're going to get more people in the church. It's not about putting your hope in some pragmatic system or programs. Programs. I mean, I confess to you, God has grown me a lot over the past 10 years. When I was the children's pastor at First Baptist Church in Bentonville, Arkansas, we put a lot of programs in place. That's what I was focusing on. Programs, programs, programs. We did this program and this program and this program. I didn't even realize what we were doing, but we were fragmenting the family in the process. But we were doing one program after another, and they were successful, and we were having new people come, and the church was growing. It, it may have had a little bit to do with the fact that Walmart was growing at the same time. It was right beside, you know, our church. But anyway, people were coming, and the programs were working. And then I came to Georgia, and I came to First Baptist Neville, and I took all those programs, and I just, you know, copied and pasted. Just took them all and just tried them all over again. And they all fell on their face. Every one of them. And God grabbed me because I came, oh man, I was cocky. I came to First Baptist Snellville. I remember, let me just share some of my weaknesses here. I remember getting to, coming to First Baptist Snellville and the pastor was interviewing me. And actually it was the personnel team. They said, um, are, you know, are you nervous about coming to a church that's a little bit bigger than what you've been at and trying to do some things? And I said, no, everything I touch turns to gold. You talk about, I think God took me and rubbed my face in the dirt for the next year and a half when I was at Snellville to remind me and to show me it's not about you, Steve. You are a fool if you think that it's about you or those programs. It's about Christ Jesus, and either you place your hope in me or you get out of the business of preaching. And so God taught me I had to learn some hard lessons or some methodology some churches put their hope in a in a methodology uh, or a strategy i went to a conference on church planting and the focus of the conference was strategies how do you how do you strategically plant churches i was excited to go to the conference except for one thing we had worship services at the conference we had breakout sessions but you know what we never did it one moment it all during the conference we never prayed for three days we met and we talked about strategies, and we never prayed. And I thought, how on earth, how on earth can people plant churches, start churches, if you're not falling on your knees before God and saying, God, you got to do this work because I can't. I don't care what strategy you have. If you're not founded on Christ, if you're not placing your hope in Christ, that's what prayer is. Prayer is simply throwing it all on Jesus. I can't do it, Lord. I'm on my knees asking you to do it for me. And so methodologies, strategies, vision statements. We have a vision statement. We have um, the core values, but our hope isn't in those things. Uh, our hope isn't in some business plan. We are a Christ-centered church. In Mark chapter 16, um, 
Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's asking them, who do, you, who do people say that I am? Who do, who do people say that I am? And, and they say, well, some people are saying you're Elijah, some say you're John the Baptist. Uh, and then Jesus asked him this question in verse 15, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, I tell you, you are Peter. Now you got to get the play on words here. You are Peter. His name is Petra, which means rock. You are rock. And on this rock, not Peter, but on this rock, I believe when he's referring to this rock, he's referring to the confession of faith that Jesus is the Christ. Upon that rock-solid truth that Jesus is the Christ, I will build my church. Upon the truth that I am who I say I am, the Messiah, upon that truth, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, I don't mean to say that some of those other things can't be done in the church. I'm not saying they're not important. It is important to have a plan, but they're not foundational. Jesus is foundational. Acts 4.11, Jesus, it says this, uh, this is Peter speaking, he says, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the foundation. Now, I always try to incorporate some sort of illustration to help the kids get a hold of the message for the day. So I need one helper, one child out there to be my helper this morning. I see Ellie's hand first. So come on up here, Ellie. And I wasn't thinking when I set my illustration on the floor here that it may be hard for me to get to it. So I'm going to have to bend like this. For those of you who don't know, I had a little bit of a car incident this week, and my back's a little sore. All right, Ellie, like I said a minute ago, all those other things aren't necessarily bad. You can come over here, okay? All those other things aren't necessarily bad. Let's write some things on here like strategy, okay, programs, okay, what else? Let's see, a vision for the church, all those things. You need all those things. You need a plan, but that's not our foundation. That doesn't make a church strong. A church can have all these things. A church can have all this stuff, vision statements, all these things, and still be terribly weak. And so here's my question for you. Do you think you can make this heavy book, you think you can make this little weak piece of paper hold up this heavy book? Okay, why don't you give it a shot? Can you pick up the book? All right, I'll tell you what. I'll hold the book, and you try to make it. Ready? Oh, Ellie, you didn't do very good, sweetie. All right, let's try that again. All right, do you think you can make this piece of paper hold up this heavy book? No, no. You know what? This paper can't hold up this book. Would you all agree out there that paper is too weak to hold up this book? Right? Man, our strategies, our programs, our vision are too weak. We can't withstand the gates of hell. We can't withstand Satan's onslaught because we are way too weak. We need something, don't we? So I'm going to take... Another piece of paper here. And I've got this tube here, Ellie, that says Jesus Christ on it. Jesus has to be our foundation. And I'm going to wrap, let's just put those words back on there again. Let's put vision, vision of, what else did I write? Strategy, and I'll just write etc. All right, let's take those things, but let's shape them now. Okay, let's put it in the shape of Jesus Christ. Let's let Jesus be the foundation, all right? So, get that right there. Get all this straight. I'm going to tape this now. 
Let's see if I can do this. One more piece of tape. All right, let's see if that'll work. Now I'm going to take this tube out, and I want to see if it makes a difference. Same piece of paper. This paper is just exactly the same as this piece of paper. So let's see if this will make a difference. Now hold that still for me. Just hold it. No, yeah, don't crunch it. Just kind of, there we go. All right, let's see here. All right, let go of it. All right, there we go. The exact same piece of paper. The same weight as this paper here. No difference at all, except that it's in a different shape. And so we can have the programs, you can have the vision, you can have the strategy, but it's got to be founded on Christ. It's got to be in the shape that Jesus wants it to be in. And it makes all the difference, doesn't it? That's the same piece of paper. So when I asked you earlier if you thought this piece of paper could hold this book, you said what? No, you're wrong. It can't hold up the book. It's just got to be in the right shape, all right? So thank you, Ellie. You can have a seat now. And I'll leave that there and see how long it stays, all right? But Jesus is the foundation. And so just, that's just to help the kids in here understand what I'm talking about this morning. That he is, it, the, the, our church has to look like and seek to be like Christ. And only then will we be a strong church. If we're a Christ-centered church, then we're going to be a word-centered church. Everyone who hears these words of mine, this is Jesus speaking, and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. A Christ-centered church is a word-centered church. There are several implications from that verse right there. Everyone who hears these words of mine, that means we're going to be a church that preaches the word. If people are going to hear it, then we have to be a church that preaches it. And it also says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them. We're going to be a church that goes out into the community and does what we have heard preached on Sunday. If we're a Christ-centered church, we'll be a word-centered church, and we'll also be a gospel-centered church. Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. The gospel, the full gospel. There was a church once, I heard this story from a pastor, there was, a, there was two churches in the community, and one church's building actually burnt down, and they were looking for a new place to meet while they rebuilt. And so they're, re, they're in the process of rebuilding the church, and this other church wanted to show them kindness and say, well, you can use our facility. We'll have our service first, and then you guys can come in and have your service. They said, that's great. So the first Sunday that came around, the, the church that owned the building got done, they were done, they, they, they finished their service, and the other church came in, and, and the pastor took a sheet of this other church. He took a sheet, because there was a cross on the stage, and he covered up the cross. And the, the other pastor said, what are you doing? Why are you covering up the cross? He said, well, in our church, we don't like to talk about all that cross and blood and gore and stuff like that. We like to keep it where it won't offend anybody. My friends, the gospel does offend. Jesus said it'll offend. Paul said it offends. But we still preach it. We preach the gospel. We preach that Jesus did die. He did bleed. He did pay, uh, took, took the, the brunt of God's wrath and pay for the sins of all who placed their faith in him. He, that did happen. And so we preach that. We preach the gospel. We preach only a church that preaches the gospel will be a strong church and have the strong church building that God wants us to have. Now I want to talk about the materials. We talked about the architect, the foundation. Let's talk about the materials. There's two sets of three here. Three good materials and three bad materials. Verse 12. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, there's the three good ones, wood, hay, straw, those are the three bad ones. 
Now the strong ones represent uh, the, the, these gold, silver, precious stones. They represent the things we do in the church that glorify Christ. They're built on the foundation. They magnify him. Those are the things we do, everyone, not just the pastor, everyone in the church does that gives God glory. The weak things that we do in the church that don't give him glory. When we're doing things for our own, um, uh, our own glory, our own attention. These materials represent what we all build with. It talks about all of us being builders. It says, let each one care how he, how he builds. If anyone builds, each one's work, anyone. It's very, very inclusive, this passage of Scripture, talking about how everybody builds on the church. You may think you have nothing to add to the church. You may think that you come to the church and you can just sit there and absorb and then leave. But I tell you what, everybody builds on the church. And if you don't do anything in the church except just receive, 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 you're building with wood, hay, and straw. You're building nonetheless. Everybody in the church is building whether they know it or not. And so we're all building upon the church and we build with, with the, the, the skills, the talents, and the uh, gifts that God has given us. Ephesians 4.11 says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers, and this is what he gave them to do. They're those the architects. That first list is the architects. He gave these guys, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. The work in the church, the bulk of it, the bulk of building a strong church doesn't happen right here. It happens out there. It happens out there with everyone contributing and doing what God has called them to do. So I want to now talk about the workmen. Okay, we'll still talk a little bit more about the materials as we talk about the workmen. I see three types of workmen in this passage, and all of us here fall into one of these three categories. Okay, we've all been equipped to serve in the church, as I already said. Okay, if you want to look at a couple of passages, you can. 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 talk about spiritual gifts that God gives us for the common good. I'm not going to read those passages right now, but we are all workmen, and there's three types of workmen represented. First of all, there is the faithful workman. The faithful workman. Okay, this is the one who builds with the first three materials, the gold, the silver, and the precious stone. This workman's work stands the fiery test of the judgment seat of Christ. Verse 13, each one's work will become, will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. When Paul talks about the day, he's talking about the judgment seat of Christ. When, when Christ returns, all of our deeds... Good and bad will be judged. Now those who believe in Christ, those who've trusted him as their Lord and Savior, are already justified by faith. Romans teaches that, Romans 5.1. And they will not face condemnation on that final day. John chapter 5, verse 24, and Romans 8.1 teach that. But God will still judge our works. The Bible clearly teaches that in various places. And he'll reward them accordingly. So we are to work hard knowing, knowing what Colossians 3.23 says. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord, and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. You are ser serving the Lord Jesus Christ. The wise builder is a faithful workman who realizes this and works hard using his talents and his skills to bring glory to Christ. Second, we have the foolish workman. The foolish workman. This is the workman who uses the last three materials, wood, hay, and straw. This person gets into heaven, but singed, all right? That's what the passage kind of leaves the impression here. Verse 14, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burnt up, he'll suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, 
but only as through fire. The image here is coming running out of a burning building and it collapsing behind them. So there's a way to serve God. There's a way to, 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 to treat your talents, your time, uh, your money. There's a way to serve God with those things that gives him glory and builds up rewards in heaven. And there's a way to, to serve yourself with all that God's given you in your life that ends up being burnt up in the end on the judgment day, even though, even though you escape like someone running through a burning building. This person stands before the king with a wasted life holding ashes. Now what determines whether or not a person is a faithful workman or a foolish workman? Let me give you three things. First of all, stewardship of our resources. Are we being good stewards? Are we being faithful with our talents, our time, and our treasures? Are we being faithful with those things that God has given us? Luke 6 verse 34 says, And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you'll be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. So stewardship, that determines whether or not we're building with gold or building with wood. Also serving others. Have we lived a life that has poured ourselves out for others? Are we living a John chapter 13 life where we're, we're washing the feet of others? If so, God rewards that kind of life. Mark 9, 41, For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. So serving others is another way we build up reward. Or we simply served ourselves with our life. Finally, we seek his glory. It's not for us, it's for God. Are what we, are what, is what we're doing with our life, is it we're doing it to get credit? Are we doing it to, to bring glory to ourselves? Are we glory givers or are we glory grabbers? The question is, can you do it in secret? Matthew 6, 1 says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. So a person who gets up here, let's just take music for example. A person who gets up here and strums the guitar and sings because they like to get the credit and they like to have people come up to them and pat them on the back and say, man, you just did a great job singing today. And it makes them just feel great about that and they want to get up and do it again the next week. They're doing that for their credit. And there is no reward in that type of attitude. But a person who's willing to serve, even if they never get a compliment, one of the most challenging things for a pastor is, is compliments. What do you say when someone comes and says, hey, I love that sermon? You know, what I should say is, well, give God the glory because I'm, I'm just an idiot, all right? But it's very easy to find pride is such a tempting thing. It's like, wow, okay, great. And then you go back and listen to it. What did I do that was so good that people like that one, right? And that pride just sneaks in. And so the question is, if there was no one else sitting in this room, would I still be saying the things I'm saying? If there's no one else sitting in the room, will you still be singing the praises to God? Or are we just trying to get people's attention? And so that's the difference between materials that get burned up or materials that re receive reward. I want to give a word of caution here. Only God knows. We're not to judge. You guys are not to sit out there and judge Mark go, hmm, I think today those rewards are burning up. I just see him. He just looked very prideful today. That's not... We are not to judge. The Bible makes it clear. Romans 14, 10 through 12 says, Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5 also speaks of not pronouncing judgment on our brothers. 
before the time. In other words, before the day. Because Christ is the one who judges. Now there's one other type of workman here in this passage. Verse 16 and 17 say this. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. The last type of workman is a false workman. There are false workmen. The Bible talks about people being in the church, in the church body, that aren't true believers. There are false workmen in the church. We don't know when someone's a false believer, but we know in this passage when he talks about destroying someone, God doesn't destroy his people. God doesn't destroy his children. But he will destroy those who are false believers in the church. The church is always vulnerable to Christians in name only. Matthew 13, 24, Jesus told this parable. He said, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while the men were sleeping, the enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up before, came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, do you not, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? And he said, No, lest I gather the weeds, you root up, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat also with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at the harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first, and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. So in every church, there are those who are not true believers, but Christ is the one who discerns that. And in the end, that will be exposed, those who are destroyers of the church. In conclusion, I just want to say that a strong church building, a strong church building has nothing to do with brick and mortar. Because the Bible, the only place the Bible uses the term church building is is when it refers to us spiritually as the church building. I am so grateful for what we have here, for, the, for all, the, all that went into making this happen. I am so grateful, and I praise God for it, and I look forward to seeing how God's going to use it. But you know what? There are many churches across America today that have nice, strong, beautiful buildings, but inside they're as weak as can be. They are not a strong building. They have a strong physical structure, but a weak spiritual structure. And I don't want us to be that kind of church. And there are other churches across America that, that can't afford a building right now. Don't have a building. We are so blessed. There are plenty of church plants that are only three years into it that have nothing. They're still meeting in a cafeteria, or they're meeting outside, or they're meeting in a home. And they're strong spiritually, and they have no building. Because the strong church building that I want to see built happens in the heart of all the people of God. It's a spiritual building. So the question is... Just like we had an inspector come and inspect this building and give us a CO, made sure our building codes were up to par, Christ is our inspector. And as he looks at this church, does he gonna, would he give us a CO? Would he say, yes, this is a strong church building. These people are founded upon the rock of Jesus Christ. These people are building with gold, precious stone, and silver. These people are faithful workmen. Would he say that? When he inspects our church, that's the question we always have to have before us. Let's pray. I'm going to ask Mark to lead us in one more song as we conclude in prayer this morning. Please bow your heads and close your eyes. As you've got your heads bowed and your eyes closed, this time of response is for everybody.
And we always have a song at the end of our service, sometimes too, because we want to respond to the message. We want to respond. And if you're a believer already, God wants you to respond too. He wants you, where you're at, to ask Him how He wants you to apply the Word in your life. And if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, you've never placed your faith in Christ, you've never stepped upon that rock of the foundation of Christ, then, then this time is for you as well. And Deemer and I are up front here, and if anyone needs to talk to us about any spiritual matter or just need to pray, then we're here for that as well. But let's pray right now as Mark gets ready to lead us. Heavenly Father, we want to be a strong church. We praise you and thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for putting it on Mr. Ewing's heart to give us this church building and what a glorious and beautiful building it is. But God, we don't want to be weak. We don't want to have a weak church building spiritually. God, we want to have a strong church standing on the foundation of Christ. And so God, I pray this morning that you'd examine all of our works. Examine my work. Examine Deemer's work. Examine the work of every single person in this room and examine whether or not we're doing it for your glory. Are we being good stewards of what we have? Are we serving others with what we have? And are we giving you all the glory? So God, this morning, be our examiner. Come in and tell us what we need to change. Work in each one of our hearts now as we respond. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand if you would.